This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to our incredible guest, Nadia Okamoto, who's the co-founder and mastermind behind August, a period care company for and by Gen Z. Nadia has been in the business of period care for quite some time. At the age of 16, she founded an organization fighting to end period poverty and stigma. Under her leadership as executive director for five years, Period addressed over 1.5 million menstruators and registered over 800 campus chapters in all 50 states and 50 other countries. In 2018, she published her debut book, Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement, and since then has been recognized on the lists of Forbes 30 Under 30, Bloomberg 50 Ones to Watch, and People Magazine's Women Changing the World. In early 2020, Okamoto co-founded August, a lifestyle brand working to reimagine periods. And today, we are here to talk about it all. On this episode, we cover menstruation, period culture, what period poverty actually entails, creating sustainable culture and sustainable product, cycle syncing, and of course, TikTok, because Nadia has over 3.8 million followers on her TikTok and it grows every day, which is such a treat to follow and just watch along. We cover it on the episode today as we even delve into things like building business on TikTok and how to speak directly to your community as you create product in the sexual wellness category. This was such a lovely conversation. I'm so excited to have Nadia on the show. Let's give her a warm welcome to the Bedside Podcast. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to the Bedside Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled to have you here. First and foremost, I just think it's so exciting to be connected with you because formerly on the podcast, I've interviewed Kiana Covey, who is, I believe, your co-founder's partner. And she, when I was touching base with her, um, you guys were early, early, early stages of launching August. And she's like, I can't really tell you what my partner's up to, but they're up to some really big shit. And here we are. And it's such a small world and so crazy to have you here. But yeah, now now you're like fully out in the world and you've launched August and it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a wild last few years, um, but it's been really fun. We're having a blast. Yes, I love it. So just to fill everybody in on it, Nadia is one of the co-founders of August, which is a period care company for Gen Z, by Gen Z. It's so incredible what you guys are up to. And before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of periods in general, I would love to know 
from you what your messaging around sex and relationships was like growing up. Did you have sex ed? Did you have any role models? Like, what was that like for you? So growing up, I definitely had like limiting sex ed. I think, you know, at any school in America and, you know, I went to public school through middle school, there's very limited education. A lot of it, uh, I, I had the benefit of growing up in Portland, Oregon, which is, I think, a lot more progressive in comparison to other public school systems. So we weren't necessarily taught like strict abstinence or anything around like morality and sex. But I mean, it was still limited, right? I think where I was really lucky and fortunate was um, growing up with a progressive single mom who was very open with me in comparison to my classmates about sex and bodies and periods. So um, for me, like I didn't shy away from asking a lot of those questions. And I was definitely a kid who had a really strong interest in anything taboo, like was kind of a trouble troublemaker in the sense that if I knew we couldn't talk about it or it wasn't societally okay to talk about it. I was even more interested in talking about it, which makes my current career make a lot of sense. <laughs> I know it's so funny because like, I feel like the things that you were reprimanded for as a kid, you're like, wait, that's actually my strong suit. Like on, I always joke on my report cards, my teachers would always be like, she's great, but she's really chatty. And I'm like, cool. I interview people <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is part of what I do. So it's just, it's so funny to see like that transpire into actually being like fuel for what you're good at. So, okay. So what got you into specifically the period space? Like what about it? Were you like, I am fed up and have to make noise about it? Well, I think for me, it was really just learning about period poverty. I think the part of the privilege of being able to afford period products growing up meant that I wasn't really thinking about what it was like to not be able to afford period products. But I started to think about it a lot more when my family was asking ourselves a lot of questions about what are necessities, what are not necessities, given financial instability that we were experiencing, but also just from conversations that I was having in the community with other homeless women that I was specifically meeting, like during volunteer work or, you know, on my commute to and from school. And it was learning about period poverty. And I think it just becoming an issue that was like, oh my God, why aren't we talking about this? How has this not been something that's been brought up to me? Like, and I have that uh, same conversation with so many people every day, like even whether it be investors or new followers on social media who are just like, I've never thought about period poverty because of the stigma around periods. You barely think about what it's like for yourself to get a period, much less like someone else. So it was really just, I think, the being 16, learning about this issue, becoming so passionate about it, and then coupled with learning about things like the tampon tax and, you know, all, all of that, um, which it's been a total obsession of mine for the last eight years. Okay, so for those who aren't aware, what is period poverty exactly? It's just not being able to afford period care when you need it. I would say that like for me, you know, I get asked a lot like, you know, how did you come up with the idea? And it was like, for me, it just always felt like a very obvious next step at every point in my career. It was like, I learned about period poverty, being 16, like, for a while, it wasn't even a thought of mine that I would start my own thing. It was like, oh, I'm going to go find organizations that are doing something about this and then get involved. But it was like trying to look that up, not finding any organization in my local area that I could volunteer with. So that wasn't an option. Okay, next option, people need period care. I need to collect period care and donate just like, you know, we donate things to church every winter and stuff. So I think for me, it was just like, okay, create nonprofit. That means collect products, whether it be in drives or 
seeking donations or buying them, distribute to people who need it. And then it was like, okay, I can either distribute directly to people like on the street, or I can literally go to different shelters and make sure that they're stocked. So then it kind of became like a B2B, you know, working with these different um, shelters and organizations, stocking them with period care. And then for me, it was really the more I learned, the more the organization evolved, right? So it was then learning that, okay, the period poverty issue is so much deeper than this. There's also this level of societal stigma that stands in the way of access and it's legislation that stands in the way of access. It's food stamps don't cover period products. There's a tampon tax, a sales tax on period products in the majority of US states. So how can we create programs that immediately address that? So, you know, I think for me, while the organization started so focused on access and products, because it was a very tangible thing to measure and understand period poverty by, it very much evolved the more I learned about the issue. I mean, I'm so like just blown away that there's even a period tax. Yeah, it's it's tricky too because the reason that it's so aggravating that there's this tampon tax is that it's specifically a tax because they're considered non-essential goods, right? It's like specifically called out. And so I think that, you know, in a lot of the discussion around the tampon tax, like I never say that addressing the tampon tax is going to solve period poverty because First of all, it's affecting people who are able to afford the products in the first place. But to me, it is so emblematic of the fact that it represents period care being considered a non-essential good. Tampons are very expensive. Like, I even think about it when I go to the store. I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm checking out. I'm just like, this is so much money. And I mean, I think now I'm in much more of a privileged spot, but I even remember feeling so crunchy about it, like, especially in college, being like, oh my God, like, I cannot afford these tampons right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, And I mean, I think that's something I think about a lot, even now being on the brand side of making tampons and pads. It's like, as we grow, I hope that we're able to continue figuring out ways that we can make period care more accessible because the fact that they are such necessities, like in a dream world, it would be subsidized by the government because it's something that we need. But we're very far off from that in the U.S. Yes, I'm, I know, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, Okay, so for someone who doesn't know much about like the period space or even if they do, what are some things, so there's like period tax, there's, or tampon tax, there's period poverty, like what are other things that you have discovered like since being a founder, since being like, I'm gonna develop my own product? What are things where you were like, we have to innovate this space? I'm thinking even like ingredients, equity in factories. Like I'm so curious, like what are things that maybe like the common person might not know about the period care industry? I think, well, I'll I'll just start with like the reasons why I wanted to start this. Like, I think that um, sustainability was a huge part of that, right? Like learning that period care um, products like tampons and pads are not the most sustainable right now. And knowing that most pads take 500 to 800 years to decompose. And that's why we created August, which takes less than 12 months. So like, different things like that where sustainability is such an obvious gap but I think that maybe less obvious to like the general public is one the ethicality of supply chain um, building uh, businesses that are at the bare minimum carbon neutral and offsetting carbon in really thoughtful ways also inclusivity was a huge part was how do we make gender inclusive period care all the way from the way we brand the products to the way we're discussing product development and things like that in a very gender inclusive way and then to you know we are not going to be a brand that perpetuates any sort of period stigma but if anything do the exact opposite of that and 
you know, I think for me, like, I don't think that my mesh, my mission personally of destigmatizing periods or talking about access to period care or quality period care has changed. I think it's just the vehicle by which I'm doing that has changed. Right. So my mission now is the same. It was three, five years ago when I was on the nonprofit side. But I think, again, the more that I learned about the issue and the more I kind of built this thesis in my mind of how I could fight for this mission, the more I started to feel like doing so from the social business side rather than nonprofits was the way that I needed to go. And so I think that the vehicle by which I'm working on this has shifted, right? There'd be, I was on the nonprofit, then I wrote a book and I was speaking and then I was doing consulting and the most of the major period companies were all clients of mine for a few years. And then it was like, nope, I need to do this as a brand. I need to have like the capital resources to be able to dictate these decisions and prove out this concept. Um, and so that's kind of where we are with August now. Was it challenging raising money under this topic? Fundraising is really hard as a founder all the time. However, I think that to me, raising venture capital was so much easier than raising money for a nonprofit because when you're raising venture capital or you're raising any sort of investment money, you are asking people to not gift money. They're investing. You're asking them to believe in your idea to help them grow the value of their investment. So they have a vested interest if you can you know, pitch them on the idea and have them believe it in supporting you. You don't have that on the nonprofit side. I think that I had six years of training. Uh, and by the way, I started fundraising when I was 16 where it felt like a win when they gave me like $2. So like I used to get so emotional when they would give me like a $5 bill. And when you're raising on the nonprofit side, you're asking them to gift you money, no strings attached, usually absolutely no recognition. The best like material thing that they might say that they get for it is um, a tax deductible receipt um, for their donation. So I think fundraising is always hard, but the simple logistics of an investment versus a donation are very different and so to me yeah it was hard but I think I was very well prepared for it yeah you're like I've been training for this for yeah. a very long time <laughs> yeah and you know I think like when someone thinks you have a good idea and they want to give you a donation they're like it's out of the goodness of their heart when someone thinks you have a good idea for an investment it's their own self-interested investment yeah they're like this is a great idea you're going to help make me wealthy and it's like Okay, like, you know, like, um, sure. Did you have like, uh, in? I asked this because I, I think it's interesting. Like, to 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 raise VC is no easy decision. Did you have a tough time grappling with that concept, or were you like, there's no choice here. Like, I'm just gonna go in. I think that there's this reputation that everybody in VC is very like old white male greedy, and I don't think that's the case. I think that that is the majority of the space, but we went in saying VC is just a whole, a whole world that we don't know. And like, let's be patient with ourselves, not be aggressive about our growth and let's find the right partners. So I'm very proud to have raised our, you know, our first rounds having majority cap table be menstruators, be diverse cap tables and be people that were values aligned. Did that mean it took us over a year and a half to close our pre-seed round? Yes. It took us a long fucking time. And I think that that is time that I don't regret at all because we turned down a lot of money from places that I don't think were values aligned or maybe didn't believe in the idea for the right reasons. Um, but I'm very proud of the place we're at now where I, I genuinely um, feel aligned with all the people who backed into the company. And 
as a, as a founder, I'm able to do this work to the best of my ability, feeling very proud of the people we're also helping to grow as well. Mm, I love that so much. Um, I feel like I could pick your brain all about that, but I do kind of want to come back to kind of your why and that white space that you found in the category. I'm curious to know, I saw on your website and I've heard you speak about this a lot and you did mention it, the like six to 800 years for a normal pad or menstrual product to decompose. So what is sort of your approach here to make that not the case? What is like, what's the secret? (laughs) Plastic free pads. Wow. Um, Yeah, our pads just don't have any plastic in them. So we're 100% organic cotton and they use a layer of a super absorbent polymer, which is basically a material that can absorb a few thousand times its weight in liquid. So for us, it was just really focusing on that. You know what's so funny to me is like how lazy people are in the product making process. I'm like, are you kidding? Like you're going to not even try to find that alternative and you're out here. You're like, hello, there's a whole other category that we can like yeah. innovate on. So I'm I'm just thrilled you took that initiative because it's like crazy. lot to say on that behalf. Switching quick gears here. Your TikTok. Yeah. You have an insane TikTok following. It's very new. <laughs> it, like, is that instrumental? Do you see that like lead directly to sales through August? Like, tell me all about this. Yeah, we do. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. You know, I think that for me, um, so I started TikTok uh, last June when we like really investing in it last summer um, when we launched the company. And I think, honestly, I never thought that it would be growing for my personal account as much as I knew it would. Obviously, I think that landscape-wise, every brand was trying to get on TikTok. It was just like the new hot thing to be on. I have a very obsessive personality. And I think that that's honestly what has lended well to the platform. It's like it's made for people who are a bit obsessive and have ADHD. And that's what I have. And so for me, I just got onto it and I was just so excited and having so much fun making content. And um, it's just been a really, really fun experience. And now we're at 3.8 million followers, which is so wild. Um, Yeah, so crazy. I think August just hit 304,000. I think like it just, it's been growing really quickly, even on the August side. Wait, yeah, 304,000. And so it's been, it's been really fun. That's amazing. I love how open you are about the stuff you talk about. I like it's amazing for those who don't follow Nadia first off go and follow her but second like you talk about everything from like your bowel movements to like in-depth videos of your bloody tampon like I'm obsessed with it it's so incredible what like what gave you the confidence and to want to share so intimately I didn't the comment or have you always no I didn't like that and honestly like I never showed my period blood until I started selling period products and I think that a lot of that was like a transparency thing was like, it just felt really obvious. Like I've never felt the need to show my period blood, but now it was just kind of like, oh, well, I guess like there are all these people who are showing how their clothing fits on your body to sell their clothes. So why wouldn't I show you exactly how the products work? Like it feels like a disservice to show it with anything other than the real thing. If I have the real thing. So I think that was a really big part of it. I think what gives me the confidence are the positive comments are just the people who have never seen it before. A lot of the, I love all the comments from young menstruators who are really scared to get their first period, have never seen period blood in their whole life before. I think seeing the comments like that of, or even the comments of, I thought I was the only one, like I've always wondered about this. I think 
a lot of those comments fill me with a lot of hope and confidence. What does period wellness look like or mean to you? I think for me, it's just like being not feeling any sort of societal boundary and taking pride in your period. I think another thing is just like being able to live in a society that that where we are celebrating for giving ourselves space to just like celebrate and rest and let our body do its thing. Yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you, do you cycle sync? Like, tell me the details here. (laughs) No, I, well, one, there's not enough, enough statistical evidence to cycle sync with anybody, but I think that a big part of it is just like creating this community, even with our, in our own circles where we can talk about it openly. And when someone says, I really bad cramps today, even in a workplace, you say, oh, like, go take it easy. Like, it's not like a a judgment on feeling less capable or being presumed to be less capable, but it's just like a reimagining of the way we think about how we celebrate people's bodies needing more time or needing more space or, you know, just being excited that their bodies are doing its thing because it's a sign of health. Yeah, seriously. So do you operate differently at like different times of your phase are you one of those people no no I'm not and I'm fortunate to this point that like I'm not one of those people who has like debilitating period cramps Mm. right but I hope that I can contribute to a more positive environment where we can talk about cramps openly so that if someone does have cramps they are never afraid to talk about it or you know be held back from opportunities I don't cycle sync mostly because I think that I can barely keep track of like my own sleep schedule still so I've kind of been more focused on just making sure I'm on the right sleep schedule yes I'm so with you um I'm like if I had time I would um yeah but you know what's really funny that you bring up I actually remember now I once told a boss that I had horrible cramps and I told a female boss she like haphazardly let me go home and then I felt so guilty about it and so uncomfortable and I just I couldn't believe it because I went to another like menstruator about the issue. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we want to figure out is like in this whole world, like how can we talk about periods and be honest? Like, yeah, I don't feel like hot shit all the time on my period, but like, that's not, doesn't mean I should be judged or, you know, made fun of or shamed in any sort of way, but like, let's just celebrate the reality and needing time to like spend, lie down is not a weakness. It's just like, you know, celebrating needing that space. I love that approach. Do you have a sexual wellness routine? Like how do you stay on top of your sexual health and just well-being? Um, for me, I actually think that therapy is a really big part of it. I think as a survivor, like sexual wellness can be triggering if I'm not in the right headspace. So for me, like I think sexual wellness is is honestly like a really big indicator of like where I am in my mental health because like if I'm not paying attention to it or I'm not valuing it, a lot of it can symbolize that I'm like kind of in a more dissociated phase versus like I think being in touch with my body and my sexuality is like such an a personal thing that it can be a very positive thing in that moment Mm, yeah that's a really important point last few questions for you as you wrap up here what is currently hanging out on your bedside table oh my god my bedside table actually I have a whole thing of vibrators because I've loved partnering with sexual wellness brands which means that I get a lot of toys to try out. Um, And I honestly was never really into self-pleasure until pretty recently. So I've been like kind of exploring that myself. Um, So that and my phone charger, that's like the only thing there. I love it. (laughs) So like I'm imagining like a basket of vibrators and like like a dingy phone phone charger. charger. (laughs) 
yeah, that's it. That's pretty iconic. Um, all right, rapid fire Q and A. Um, are you currently on your period? Yeah. How old were you when you first got your period? Twelve. Tampons or pads? Tampons. Menstrual cup or period underwear? August tampons or pads? <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> Option pads. C. August tampons. Um, light, regular, or heavy flow? What are you? I think I'm more in like the regular heavy range. Um, do you deal with cramps or period poops? Uh, period poops. <laughs> and if there was one thing you wish everyone could know more about when it comes to period culture, what would it be? I think just to, I think if I could tell everybody something, it would just to always say period instead of using any sort of nickname or euphemism. Mm. Ooh, that is, yes. Yeah. Like flow or. Yeah. I don't know. People Shark make up- week. Yeah. <laughs> Never, I hear Shark Week a lot. I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I hear Shark Week and Strawberry Week. And also just even things like time of the month. Mm. Yep, I love it. Um, all right, Nadia, thanks so much for joining us today. I can't wait to share this brand and your mission with everybody who's listening. Can you drop your links and handles below for everybody to stalk? Yeah, at Nadia Okamoto at It's August. And our website is itsaugust.co. Amazing. And could we potentially provide listeners with a discount code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can definitely create one. Yeah, we could do like bedside 15, I think. Yeah. For like okay. a 15% off. Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy we got to chat. Me too. Me too. Chat soon. Okay. All right. Bye, Nadia. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening. Bye.